0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 29th of January. My God, January is almost over.
0: That's right. And so we're still creeping along this weird second year of the pandemic. And when we're talking about pandemics, Norman, one of the phrases that was bandied about a lot, especially at the beginning, was the idea of herd immunity, that we get to a stage where the virus can't spread willy-nilly through the community anymore because enough people have had it that it doesn't spread as rapidly anymore. And the theoretical threshold for that, based on how much um, a single person with COVID sort of tends to spread to, was about 60, 70%. Sixty, seventy percent. So, what do we know about places in the world where there has been a lot of COVID transmission? Whether we're reaching this herd immunity threshold and if it's actually making a difference?
1: Well, it's funny you should say that because a couple of days ago in the Lancet they published a report from Brazil, which is actually quite disturbing. So, they reported from a city in Brazil called Manaus, which is or Manaus, which is in uh, the Amazon. Northwest Brazil, I think it is. And they had done a study of blood donors, which indicated that a full 76% of the population had been infected with SARS CoV 2 by October of last year. And therefore, you would assume that with that high attack rate, you've got herd immunity, which is above 60, as you say, between 60 and 70%. Except that what happened in January, in other words, just this month, between the 1st of January and January 19th, compared to December 1st to 19th, they had 3,431 hospital admissions for SARS-CoV-2 for COVID-19, compared to 552 in the first 20 days, first three weeks of December.
0: Right. So they've had a big spike last year. It's dropped off and now they're seeing a big spike again now.
1: Yes. And hospitalizations had remained low For about seven months, and you've just seen this spike in January, and um, and the question is, what's going on here? So you know they could have overestimated the attack rate and the herd immunity ratio. You know it's still possible that it's a high estimate in terms of when people were immune, but even their low estimate, based on perhaps errors in their assumptions of. When people got what antibody response, it's still about 52% as their low estimate there. And that should still confer some degree of immunity. But, you know, they do say that when you compare the blood donors to the average population, there was no difference in the, you know, in other words, they seem to be quite a representative sample of the general community. So they assume that the 76% is accurate. So then they go on to, looking at whether or not there's been a waning of antibodies during that time. That could be the other response. But they showed that, you know, in British healthcare workers, that reinfection was rare up to about six months after the primary infection. It could be due to variants, because we've talked a lot on Coronacast about the variants in Brazil. And they've really got two or three lineages of uh, variants in Brazil, which could be uh, both more virulent and indeed more contagious. So the worry here is that we don't really know why they've had a resurgence in a community that should be pretty immune.
0: And it's not that these people are getting a milder infection the second time around either because the measure that they're looking at is hospitalisation. So presumably people are quite sick.
1: Yes, and there is growing evidence that um, some of these variants are more virulent, although that's that's not been confirmed in any peer-reviewed journal. In fact, one thing I need to say about this paper is that it's in The Lancet and therefore it has gone undergone some degree of peer review rather than uh, some of the other pre-publication papers we sometimes quote from.
0: So what do we take away from this? It seems like a pretty scary fact is... Is herd immunity a false goal? Do we know whether vaccination is going to have a, long, a longer-lasting immunity associated with it? Like, this is kind of worrying.
1: It is kind of worrying. The good news is that consistent evidence from immunisation, at least with the Astra vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, even though the Astra vaccine may be less efficacious at preventing all disease, is that they do seem to generate an immune response that's bigger and deeper than you get from a live infection, which is very unusual, because usually live infections give you a better degree of immunity, particularly with influenza. But it seems to be contradicted in this. So it's likely that vaccination gives you a better immune response that lasts longer. But you know you'd have to say that from this study, you're going to have to watch pretty closely whether or not immunity wanes faster. Or you're vulnerable to variants more than people have thought. I mean, it's it's a mystery. It's could be wrong, but um, it's a it's a real warning sign.
0: Yeah, like so many things with this pandemic, we're watching it unfold in real time, and we just won't know the long term implications until we're in a long term time frame.
1: Yeah, and and everybody's saying, well, if you want to if you want to see about reduced transmission. The clinical trials don't give you that answer. It's, to some extent, suck it and see. Once the population's been immunised, then you can see what the effect is. And if you're getting signals that infection is coming back, then you're going to have to jump in with booster shots, perhaps tailored booster shots to the current variants that are around. Luckily, particularly the mRNA vaccines can turn around pretty quickly and do that. And we've also got an mRNA vaccine in Australia uh, that will soon be ready for trial.
0: So yesterday we were talking to someone from the Lowy Institute, a think tank, about ranking different nations from around the world on their COVID-19 response. And um, they found that New Zealand had had the most effective response and Australia was in the top 10. And a couple of you listeners wrote in and said, why didn't we mention China? So let's talk about that a bit. They actually didn't include China in their data set because they didn't have sufficient data available to put it in that leaderboard.
1: Yeah. And it would be interesting to see. I mean, China certainly performed really well um, in very large populations. And I suppose if they had data, they could have, it might have contradicted the conclusion, which was the size of population matters. Although Wuhan is 12 million. So if you take Wuhan, rather than take the population of the whole of China, it was managed in a population of 12 million. So it could still fit within the theory that the Lowy Institute um, has put out.
0: And that's what um, our guest yesterday said: was that countries where they had a smaller population or, or broke down the population into smaller groups seem to do better. So, if you want to listen to that, scroll back through your podcast feed. It's yesterday's episode, and it's really worth a listen.
1: So, let's do a quick white Friday.
0: Let's go now. Hayden's asking, it looks like the new vaccines are also good at preventing the spread of COVID. So shouldn't our vaccine rollout queue change to focus on the most social groups of people to stop spread before it happens?
1: Bit of wishful thinking, Hayden. Um, Not yet proven that they they reduce transmission. A little bit of a signal coming from Israel that they do. And a little bit of trial evidence, particularly from the Astra vaccine. We're going to have to wait a little while. And then that becomes a really interesting question, whether you pivot towards younger people who do spread it before it happens. But at the moment, when the evidence is that it prevents disease and death, that's what you've got to go for, vulnerable populations.
0: Someone's asking, what evidence is there for long COVID? Could it just be hypochondria?
1: No, it's not just hypochondria. The pattern is pretty much what is what we say is syndromic. There's a clear syndrome of, lo- of long COVID, fatigue and other symptoms but it's not just fatigue it's other symptoms as well which really creates a very specific pattern for long COVID as opposed to say chronic fatigue syndrome or a chronic pain syndrome or some other thing like that and that they're not hypochondria either but they are more uh, I'll get killed for saying this psychosomatic which, which was really what I mean there is that um, it, it's essentially you've got a symptom where um, something has created that symptom in your brain and the brain has clicked through neurologically to get a sense of fatigue, not a sense of, a very real feeling of fatigue, very real feeling of pain. But long COVID is a much more highly defined syndrome and increasingly it's being associated with abnormalities in the immune system.
0: Steve's asking, how long is it going to be before we're going to get the vaccine that's made in Australia and how are the clinical trials going for working out what the dosage should be?
1: So there is a clinical trial for Astra, which will finish. They're saying that in February they will have finalized that trial and they will report in April whether they're formally. I don't know whether they're formally testing a half dose, full dose and that. I suppose they are, but I don't know that for sure at the time of recording this coronacast. So I think that they will be testing the various dosage regimes. And it's worth going back just to say that one of the reasons we've got a problem with dosage, particularly with the astro vaccine, is that clinical trials normally go phase one, safety, phase two, getting the right dose, phase three, does it work? And in almost all the trials, they've either missed the phase two or done a combination of phase two, phase three, or phase one, phase two. So the dosage side of things has been underdone. So hopefully that's what they will expand upon.
0: Bill's asking a question that follows on from what you were saying before about Brazil. Will these COVID injections be an annual thing like the current flu shots?
1: We simply don't know. And the Brazil story does, as you say, does illustrate that. We just simply don't know whether it's going to be six months, a year or maybe even longer.
0: Our final question from me, Norman, on behalf of your avid CoronaCast listeners. Are you back at the gym yet?
1: I had my first session the night before last.
0: Well, that's nice. Uh, You sent me a sweaty selfie, which I don't mind telling our audience about.
1: Yeah, Speaking of pain syndromes, you can see it in my face.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today.
1: If you've got a question, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and click on Ask a Question. And you can also make a comment too. Mention Coronacast so we can pick it up on the way through. And we will see you on Monday. See you then.